the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. Welcome to year two of the podcast. Thank you for your support during the inaugural year, and I look forward to your comments and suggestions as we look to continue to improve your experience. This was supposed to be a mailbag edition, but moves, both in the CU coaches' room and on the roster, have dominated the headlines of late, and consequently dominated my discussion with Brad. Toward that end, Shortly after we recorded this edition, senior defensive end Mustafa Johnson declared for the NFL Draft. Moral of the story, please check in with the See You at the Game website daily for updates. Still, there was much to discuss, as CU's offseason to date has been anything but quiet. Let's get to it. Okay. We are back in 2021 with Brad Geiger. How's the new year treating you, Brad? Well, uh, 2021 at least has some feeling that there's light at the end of whatever tunnel you've particularly been stuck in, although it's been a strange start to the year, so I guess we're doing okay. Very well. And everyone's happy and healthy in Highlands Ranch. This is a so far so good. They're getting by so far so good. The, the family as well, and the college student is getting ready to go back and be a college student. So, well, life proceeds apace. Yeah, well, speaking of college students that are getting ready to start school in one place or another, we had in mind to do this simply as a mailbag. We did have some questions that were submitted, but the news kind of trumped that some of the questions were related to what we're going to talk about tonight. But we're talking about transfer portals and players leaving and coaches leaving. Probably the best place to start would be what would have to be a surprise in terms of two coaches. If you're going to have three coaches in the assistant ranks that are probably the most important, you probably say the two coordinators and the strength and conditioning coach. And as of now, Colorado is down two of those, which has to be considered a surprise. First, it was announced that the strength and conditioning coach, Drew Wilson, would not be retained. And then shortly thereafter, the defensive coordinator, Tyson Summers, was also not going to be back for a third year. First thoughts? First reactions? Well, it, nowadays, because of the way the NCAA works, the strength and conditioning coach is generally perceived to be the off-season proxy for the head coach. That is the coach that can see the players. That is the coach that communicate with the players. And that's the position where the head coach has to have extraordinarily trust in that person. 
And so it is very challenging for anybody to judge Carl Durrell saying that, that that proxy is not appropriate for me. I think this is truly a sign that Carl Durrell has decided that this is his program, that he is free to have this program be his. And so that change doesn't surprise me in that he wasn't Carl's guy. Yeah. And so that, that, that one is less surprising to me than the defensive coordinator. But again, it's hard to judge a coach for wanting his own people in his own place, having seen how it works. And the defense that we thought was going to be the strength of this team this year was not always. And so I guess you can see statistically, perhaps performance-wise, that Carl would have some concerns about this. But this really feels like a head coach becoming confident and making that room his own. Well, it certainly shows who's in charge for now. I can't argue that. But it was a surprise just simply because, yes, uh, the strength and conditioning coach sees the players a whole lot more than any other coach just because of the NCAA rules. And this year was even more so because of the COVID constrictions. And during the long nine-month offseason, Carl Durrell had nothing but praise for Drew Wilson, and the players had lots of praise for Drew Wilson. They loved Drew Wilson. So that had to be kind of a surprise in that it did not seem that there was any disharmony there and the play of the lines, you know, you, you talk about strength and conditioning. You first place you're going to judge the strength and conditioning coach is the play in the trenches. And I think the consensus would be that the offensive line and defensive lines, while not going into dominant category, were certainly more serviceable than they have been in recent years. And then, yeah, the numbers, depending on which numbers you look at, because of course, University of Colorado in its stats does not count bowl statistics. Whether they are good statistics or bad statistics, they do not count bowl statistics in their year-long averages. So fortunately for the Colorado defense, the 55 points and the some 600 yards that Texas put up on Colorado in the Alamo Bowl doesn't count in the annual statistics. But if you look at the NCAA, which does look at those statistics, uh, it was virtual dead heat between last year's points allowed and this year's points allowed. It was like 31.8 versus 31.67. So it was almost identical this year compared to last year. So I guess my first concern was that of continuity, that these players have had to deal with three head coaches in three years. We thought that we were heading into an offseason where there would be a coaching staff that would be the same year over year and a full year of spring ball and off-season conditioning and all that sort of fun stuff that would help make for a more solidified offense and defense going into 2021, and now that doesn't seem to be the case. So I guess there is that concern as far as what is going to happen with these players. Are we going to lose any more players than have already been lost because of this? And you've got to trust the process, I guess. Trust the man in the room, as they say. One thing that you know kind of bugged me, and I want to bounce this off of you. We haven't talked about this in advance, so I'm just going to hit you with this kind of blind. But 
just thinking about Tad Boyle and how the Buffs basketball program is perceived by some of the fans right now, that the idea is that, yes, Tad wins games. Tad wins 20 games a season. But when it comes to big games, this was, you know, after we lost Arizona on the road, lost UCLA on the road, you know, the Buffs can't win the big games. If they get to the tournament, they get bounced quickly. And we need somebody better, somebody different. It seems like we are not content with where we're at. And I have to say, having lived through and you have lived through what we saw was the the dregs of Colorado basketball history, that I am content winning 20 games a season, being on the bubble at least, or making the NCAA tournament. Just some bizarre numbers with, with Ted Boyle. I mean, McKinley Wright just passed Jay Humphreys for the career all-time assists, and we were contemporaries with Jay Humphreys, which will allow people to do the math on that. But when we were in school, the NCAA tournament was like going to the Orange Bowl, you know, at the time when we were in school. It's like that just wasn't even a dream. That wasn't even a possibility. And, in fact, Colorado went from 1969 to 1997 without playing in the NCAA tournament. So anybody that wants to take out their calculator from 1969 to 1997, that's a long time. Now, under Tad Boyle, Buffs have been to the NCAA tournament four times. There have been 11 20-win seasons in Colorado history. Tad Boyle has seven of them. Okay. Colorado has 26 conference tournament wins. So we're talking about Big 7 conference, Big 8 conference, Big 12, the postseason conference. Colorado history, some 70, 80, 90 years of playing college basketball. 26 conference tournament wins. Tad Boyle has 15 of them. So in 10 years, 15 wins. 70, 80 years, 11 wins. So you talk about being one and done. We're not talking about being one and done in the NCAA tournament. We're talking about being one and done in the conference tournament is what we were used to. And now we are complacent, I guess, in terms of that's not good enough to win 20 games, be considered to be a 7, 8, 9 seed in the NCAA tournament, and maybe not advance to the second weekend. Now, to bring that back to the football team, and my concern, or you know, maybe the way I'm approaching this in the wrong way, but I like being 4-2. and two. You know, I know it's a weird season. I like going to a bowl game. I liked having a winning record. And maybe juggling the coaching staff, might we might lose that. I'm afraid of going backwards, I guess what I'm saying, that I wouldn't mind having three seasons of seven or eight wins and bowl games and maybe not beating USC or Oregon, but winning the games we're supposed to win, getting to minor bowls, winning minor bowls, getting better recruiting classes. I'd like to have the plateau shifted. But it doesn't seem like Carl Durrell, again, to bring this all back full circle, is content with that, that he is willing to take the bold moves and say, yes, we have a good strength and conditioning coach. Yes, we have a good defensive coordinator, but that's not good enough. How would you compare my long story about Tad Boyle's perception and how CU fans look at Tad Boyle winning 20 games a season not being good enough versus – the football team and 
what Carl Durrell is trying to do. I think Carl Durrell knows more about the football program than the average fan knows about the basketball program. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess there's a comfort as a fan to seeing the same program, the same consistency. And if Carl Durrell gets in a habit of shuffling coaches every year, yeah, I'll be very concerned. That's not generally how one succeeds unless you're, you know, Nick Saban who replaces, you know, one great assistant coach with a recently fired NFL coach. Carl Durrell, because of the bizarre circumstances of how he was hired, didn't get to pick his staff. At least it not without the not with the freedom that most coaches have, and so I don't know that Carl is chasing something better, or if Carl is chasing his own vision of the program. And yes, we have had coaches who had a vision of the program that turned out to be extraordinarily blurry. <laughs> um, but one thing we know just from one season with Coach Durrell is that he is hard on himself. He is hard on his players. He believes that this program can succeed. And I think he's going to, in terms of people he didn't pick, be relatively tough about whether or not they can contribute to that. Again, if this is a habit or it keeps going on, I don't think Darrell will have the success that we need. But picking, as you said, these are two of the three most important positions. It's not inappropriate for a coach to want those to be his guys. Sure. Well, hopefully it will not lead to a mass exodus from disgruntled players that have lost their defensive coordinator and their strength and conditioning coach. But that's a good segue into the transfer portal and the fact that Colorado has lost a couple of seniors and a sophomore recently to the transfer portal. Of course, we're talking about senior wide receiver Katie Nixon senior safety Darian Rakestraw, and sophomore running back Jaron Mangum. I think it's safe to say that you and I and most of the Buff Nation would say that two of those three are not surprises, but the third one would be. Fair fair to say that? Yeah, certainly. I mean, Mangum hasn't broken through. He has not been the running back we hoped, and that's a full room right now. Katie Nixon, who I've always been impressed with his work ethic, his willingness to put himself on the line. He's a senior. He is buried behind more talented younger players. Is just the reality. And if ever you can say, go in good graces and find a better place for you, KD Nixon is that kind of player in the transfer portal. Rakestraw would have played. Rakestraw, I think, probably could have been a solid player for us next year in a secondary that's going to remain young. And so that that hurts. There's no doubt about that. But again, guys like us aren't used to the concept of players being able to transfer. We are we are more of the once you make that commitment, you're here forever kind of world. And as a general football fan and somebody who believes in the players, I'm all in favor of the transfer portal, which means I have to swallow hard when it's one of our guys going away. And I guess we have to start viewing the transfer portal the way we view recruiting day. You can't figure out how it all worked out until we figure out who we got out of the transfer portal. Well, and certainly I think most of the Buff Nation would agree with you as far as Katie Nixon that there are younger players 
and perhaps more talented players that have superseded him in the wide receiver core. Everyone likes KD. Everyone's going to remember the Nebraska game, the 96-yard touchdown and the flea flicker that got the Buffs back into the game in the fourth quarter of the Nebraska game in 2019. Everyone's going to remember him fondly. But a year ago, we were wondering whether or not he was going to go to the NFL along with LaVisca Chenault, his running mate, literally. And he decided to come back, probably well-advised to come back for his senior year. But then did not have that kind of a senior year that would impress NFL scouts. It was certainly a drop-off. And if he can find a situation where he can be the featured receiver and impress scouts and be drafted for the next draft, then I think everyone in the Buff Nation would wish him well and hope for the best. Jaron Mangum really was a surprise well, of course, Jerry Broussard was the surprise in the running back room. We never thought he was going to be the starter. Then Alex Fontenot, who had 800-plus yards last year, was going to be the starter, and he got injured, so now we have Jerry Broussard. Jaron Mangum had 441 yards last year. He was the second leading rusher behind Fontenot. It's like, well, he's the next man up. This year's stats, 23 carries for 35 yards. That's not a very good average. You know, his longest carry of the year was five yards. So whether it was situational or there's something else going on that we were not privy to, yeah, those are not stats that are going to get him on the field next year. So it's understandable that he would want to pursue other opportunities. But, yeah, the head scratcher has to be Darian Rakestraw. 15 starts, 42 games. He had more more games played than anybody else in the roster. And he'd switched over from wide receiver, become the starting safety, really a leader in the secondary because he was the old man in the secondary. So you would have thought that with most of the other starters coming back, it was 9 of 11, Akil Jones being the other senior, that he might have been one of those that would want to come back for a senior season. There are, yes, there are some young, talented players. Chris Miller's could play there, but he, unfortunately, he's on the sidelines injured more than he's on the field playing. And that's just been the reality for his time at Colorado. Isaiah Lewis, I mean, we do have Trustin Oliver coming as a junior college transfer, whose story, I think, in and of itself makes him somebody you want to root for. And he was a member of the recruiting class of 2019 for CU, didn't get to get into CU, went the junior college route, Redshirted in 2019, the junior college season was canceled, so he didn't get to play this fall. So he's been out for two years. He's coming to Colorado with three years to play three years, finally making it, you know, coming full circle and probably being in a position where he can compete for a starting job along with, then there's Mark Perry and KJ Torrio. I mean, there's some talented players there, but I don't think Darian Rakestraw was in a position of not playing. He was definitely going to be seeing some playing time. So, yes, there's some wringing of hands in the Buff Nation right now when it comes to losses of players. And I think your statement is, is that that's just the, the brand new, you know, the new world that we're going to have to deal with, that there are players going to transfer out every year. And we're just going to have to learn to accept that. Well, we're not the only ones. Even grade schools lose 
some players to the transfer portal because kids want to play. But the vast majority of schools, and I think you have some stats about the rest of the Pac-12, uh, the, Pac the vast majority of schools are going to lose kids. They're going to lose them for personal reasons. They're going to lose playing time reasons. They're going to lose them for fit with the new coach reasons. And as hard as that is for some of us who've been watching college football for 30 of my years <laughs> <laughs> or more, that's that's the reality we have to deal with. And, um, yeah, a sign of a good coach is going to be how many people you keep or if you keep the right people. And so, you know, again, of the players we've lost this year, there's one that really we're worried about. The others are leaving for better opportunities and that their leaving is not hurting the program. So it certainly could be worse. And I think it probably is in other places. Yeah. It was kind of a surprise. And I posted this about a week ago. I did the transferred portal totals for the PAC 12 and I update. I'm going to put it on the see what the game website and I'll just keep updating it. Cause it's probably going to be updated before Signing day in February, it's going to be updated again before spring ball and then after spring ball. Probably won't know till May what those final numbers are going to look like because it's going to be very fluid. But I was surprised. At this point, Colorado has five players out, and that includes William Anglin, who left the team months ago, and Jason Harris, who came from Arizona, never played it down. His brother plays at the University of Arizona, and he transferred back to the University of Arizona. So... More power to him. Hope he doesn't win any games against Colorado, but no bad blood there. But in terms of overall numbers, there are three teams in the Pac-12 that have had over are in double digits in terms of opt-outs. Arizona State has 12. Of course, everybody thinks Herm Edwards is wonderful. They've had 12 players that have left the program this year. Washington State, with its new coach, has 11 players that have opted out. And Utah a school that everybody thinks we should try and emulate, has had 10 players opt out, including three four-star players. Now, we hear a lot about the four-star players that Utah brings in, because usually they're transfer quarterbacks or transfer running backs, but they've actually had as many four-star players opt out this year as they've had opt-in. USC has lost three four-star players and a five-star player in the transfer portal. Arizona, of course, which is a my favorite dumpster fire, has had nine players go out. Oregon State, seven. UCLA, six. USC and Colorado, five. Cal and Washington, four. Stanford's the only one there down at two. So we're less than average. We're like a tied, with, uh, tied for seventh right now with USC in terms of the numbers of players that have opted out. Now, would we be better off if we had a lot more players opting in or transferring in? Sure, but that may still happen. So, yeah, while it's hard to lose a receiver that's in the top 20 all time in receiving yards and catches and a fixture in the defensive secondary, uh, sure, and potential star at defensive end, you know, Jason Harris, but if he was that great, not to say anything bad about the young man, but if he was that great, he probably would have played as a true freshman and didn't play it down this year. So, yeah, I think the transfer portal is going to give us lots of fodder in the offseason. But you got to, again, you know, trust the coaching staff and maybe picking up some extra scholarships 
for players, especially in the wide receiver core and the running back room where you've got an extra amount of talent is not a negative for the team as a whole. No, I mean, the, the, the world now is that players who think they're talented have an option. Some of them are going to be wrong. That's the way it's going to work. But this has always been, hopefully, some sort of a meritocracy. But it's also about fit. And players are going to look for that fit. Yeah. Speaking of fits and players that are actually going to suit up for the University of Colorado, we tend to wring our hands over the bad news and just pass over the good news. But Colorado did get some good news in this, that Nate Landman is going to return for 2021. We don't know when he'll be able to play, but even having him on the roster, I think, is a, a real bonus for the program. And then Carl Durrell said that Mustafa Johnson, Terrence Lang, and Carson Wells would all be returning to the University of Colorado for 2021 season as well. So let's express some joy in the fact that there are four defensive starters, all that potentially could have left the program, that are planning on being buffs in uh, the fall of 2021. Yeah. And, I mean, Nate Landman was and remains the best player on the defense. Mustafa Johnson, it will play on Sundays if he stays healthy. If we're all being honest, Carson Wells has the most talent on the defense and has the build and is starting to develop the ability to be a terrifying ball player. And somebody, the fact that he didn't get quite the attention he deserved this year, such that he would be going up the draft charts and make it worthwhile leaving, is just a piece of great news for CU. And if we can bring in or keep a defensive coordinator who can continue to develop that skill, he and eventually Landman could be terrifying next year. Yeah. I mean, uh, the fact, you know, I put this in one of the polls on the website that Colorado had five players on the defense receiving some all Pac-12 notoriety. Nate Lamb was first team, Mustafa Johnson was second team. We got three others, including Terrence Lang, Isaiah Lewis, and Carson Wells, that were either third team or got honorable mention. Five out of the 11 players on the defense received some form of all Pac-12 honors, and all five of them are coming back. So even if Tyson Summers isn't going to be back, the players are going to be back, and hopefully that will be something which will give the new defensive coordinator some reason for excitement and maybe increase the number of coaches that are making phone calls to the University of Colorado Champion Center looking for a job. So talk a little bit about quarterbacks. We did get a question about quarterbacks. Sam Neuer, we really don't know about the extent of his shoulder injury. I don't know if we're going to be privy to that. We might see come spring ball if he's even participating. That would give us some ideas to his status. And then we did get a transfer. Hey, there you go. Transfer portal from Tennessee. One JT Shrout. Any impressions about the, the quarterback room at this point? We did lose to the transfer portal. It was a freshman walk-on, but Mike Chandler has decided to go elsewhere. So your thoughts, I mean, well, obviously we'll talk a lot more about this when we get closer to spring ball, but uh, how the shuffling of the deck has taken place in the, in the quarterback room in the last month or two. Well, I mean, think about where we were in September, where we didn't know who the quarterback was going to be. 
we thought there was going to be, you know, we kind of assumed it was going to be Tyler Lytle taking over, Sam Neuer as the experienced backup, and then we were really rooting for Brendan Lewis to step up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tyler Lytle just never got in that fight, and we don't really know why, but what little we saw of him didn't encourage us a great deal. Neuer's strengths and weaknesses were extraordinarily demonstrated throughout the course of the season. We know exactly who he is. We Certainly he can get better, but he is not the highest ceiling person that you will ever find. Shroud, from what little we know, looks like Tyler Lytle, a little bigger, a little better. And so if we decide to go with more of a pro set, he might compete with Neuer. But come on, aren't we all hoping for Brendan Lewis to step up? We watched what, how he played in the bowl game. We watched the spark he brings. We watched the energy he brings in a game now that is back to more about a running quarterback. So, come on. We all know who we're rooting for here. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I – yes. Uh, I think that if we had Brendan Lewis as a three- or four-year starter, everybody would be very excited about that. And I kind of look at Sam Neuer – Almost the way as I look at Nate Landman or Brady Russell, these are the kind of guys that you want to have in the locker room. I admire the hell out of the way Neuer handled the Alamo Bowl when Brendan Lewis was in the lineup. He was his biggest cheerleader. He was not one of those that was sitting on the bench and, you know, with a towel over his head or sitting there going through the motion signaling in. I mean, he was a cheerleader and he he's a team guy and you want to have team guys and Sam Neuer is definitely that. So whether he wins the starting job or whether he even, you know, can compete depending on how his shoulder is and everything like that, you, you got to root for Sam Neuer, but I agree with you that you, you want to have Brendan Lewis cause he brings more to the table has again, like you say, a higher ceiling, uh, Shroud did play eight games for an SEC team for Tennessee. Did have a start. Reportedly has a you know a much better arm than anybody we have on the roster. Plus, you know, as a big bad sophomore, he actually brings some age to the quarterback room because we're talking about if Sam Neuer doesn't decide to play or can't play, you're talking about a sophomore, a redshirt freshman, true freshman. We're talking about a lot of peach fuzz type quarterbacks, and it wouldn't be bad to have an extra quarterback in the room that has some playing experience. And Drew Carter, the true freshman, did enroll early, so at least he'll be there for spring ball if there is going to be uh, spring ball. So, yeah, there's a lot of unknowns with the, the quarterback position, but as you say, if you want to compare it to where we were six months ago, I think you'd have to say it's an upgrade. And we can only hope that the other Tennessee quarterback that transferred to the Pac-12, Jared Garantano, who transferred to Washington State, it'd be interesting if the, he and CU's transfer quarterback from Tennessee got to play against each other. That would be an interesting scenario if the Cougars and the Buffs both had Tennessee-flighted quarterbacks um, starting against one another. I think what we want to do here – we talked a little bit about before that we got on the air that uh, want to finish on kind of an upbeat. One of the questions that we did get, I'll give a shout out to, uh, well, CK3. Okay. Thank you, CK3. 
And the other question, you know, Iowa buff, S, SBM, 07 buff, Robert O. There were other questions that we got that was kind of related to the transfer portal and things like that. So thank thank you for everyone that's sending questions. If you want to participate in future mailbags, it's just send me an email at seeyouatthegame at gmail.com anytime, along with any questions or suggestions about the podcast or the website. We talked about other than Neuer and Broussard, which would be obvious choices, what were the pleasant surprises for you in the lineup and pleasant surprises for you as far as the, the coaching staff? Not to be cowardly, but there's no doubt that the offensive line was better than we feared, stronger than we feared, blocked better, particularly on the running game than we feared. And so I think part of that is that the players were better than we thought, and part of it, the, the coaching was better than we feared. And so I think if you're going to give a group nod to who surprised us this year, it has to be the offensive line. Well, good for you, because we should have talked about this before, because I was actually going to say the offensive line coach. I want to give a shout-out and apology, really, on behalf of probably 90% of the Buff Nation to Mitch Rodrigue, who last March was hired with a great deal of hair pulling. We have an offensive line coach under Mel Tucker that had turned down SEC jobs to stay at Colorado and then ultimately went to Michigan State with Mel Tucker. And what did we get to replace him? Uh, I got it last spent two years coaching high school in Alabama. And if you don't think that Buff fans had – Something to say about that, you you should go back and look. Uh, well, and I, I think if one went back and looked at our preseason podcast, yes. one might find a comment or two about uh, the wisdom of that hire. I think we are, we'd be guilty as charged, but yeah, I mean, and the fact was, is not only was the offensive line better, but it, it was better even though there were injuries, that the Buffs only started the same offensive line twice. And so even with the injuries, Rodri was able to put together a pretty solid effort in terms of rushing yards, in terms of fewer sacks and fewer penalties. It was a solid unit, and I think pretty underrated in terms of the overall success of the, the team. We wouldn't have been able to have Sam Neuer be as successful, and certainly Jarek Broussard as successful, if it wasn't for the play of the offensive line and its, its coach. Now, it remains to be seen, obviously, whether or not he can recruit for the unit and whether he can develop the unit. You know, Will Sherman is off to the NFL and probably will be drafted. Every underclassman that's ever left Colorado early has been drafted. So let's hope that Will Sherman does not break that string. So Frank Phillip will probably move over just like Sherman did from right tackle to left tackle. So we'll be good at left tackle again, and we'll see how the rest of the line comes together. But there is good young talent there. If it continues to develop, that could be a, a strength of the team. And so a shout-out and an apology to Mitch Rodriguez and the offensive line because they had a hell of a year and deserve to be applauded for it. I you know it was. You know, there were times this year when it was fun to watch. There were times in fourth quarters where it was the things that we had always rooted for, the ability to grind out yardage that 
honestly, in the past we have not had. <laughs> was very exciting to watch. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you're right. The coach and all of the players there deserve a lot of credit. Yeah, and produce CU's first Offensive Player of the Year since 2002, which was Chris Brown, who got to play behind an offensive line with NFL caliber linemen. So, yeah, and that is not a coincidence that, you know, it's, that's the way that works. So for now, I think let it be enough for now. We're going to obviously have more to talk about, more mailbags. We've got recruiting day number two, signing day number two, coming up the first Wednesday of February. So we're going to be talking about who's going to get signed by the University of Colorado. And with players going to the transfer portal, guess what? There are more scholarships available. So there may be some surprises on signing day. we got a couple of players that we do have lined up and committed that are supposed to sign on signing day number two. And we will certainly be talking about that. And then we're going to do a deep dive into the recruiting class of 2021. And then shortly thereafter, we're going to have to start talking about spring ball. So we're going to start talking about the roster and the depth chart and what we can look for in the spring. So, Brad, do you have any words of wisdom for the, the masses before we, we sign off on the first podcast of 2021? Well, you know, January and February are never the happiest and brightest days of any year, but better days are coming. Spring practice will arrive and the grass will green up. And once again, hopefully, after the strangest year in football history, things will get back to something approaching normal. Thank you for being a part of the first podcast of the 2021 season. As a reminder, your comments, suggestions, and questions for future podcasts are always welcome. Just drop me a note at seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. Please remember also to subscribe to the podcast. You can find us at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and other fine sites. I hope you'll be keeping in touch both through the podcast and the website as it promises to be a busy spring. Signing Day Part 2 is coming Wednesday, February 3rd. There will be up-to-the-minute coverage on the website, and Brad and I will be back shortly thereafter with an in-depth look at the entire CU recruiting class of 2021. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will again see you at the game.